0: Haggai 1, 12 to 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king." Thank you, Gwen, for reading one of the things that is most heart-wrenching. One of the most painful things to watch is when there's some relationship, some friendship, some close relationship that is beginning to fracture, beginning to fall apart. It's so hard to observe. It's so hard to watch people who once were very much together actually moving further and further apart. So many stories in the Bible deal with a relationship that is disintegrating. Particularly, particularly God enters relationship with people, his relationship with his own people. It makes it sometimes very, very tough to read the Bible when you're watching some people that are God's people called by his name, and then you begin to read about them rebelling against the Lord. You read about them wandering away from the Lord, not listening to him, not trusting him. He loves them and they reject it. He shows mercy and they want no part of it. He shows compassion and they're really not interested in any of it. As a matter of fact, I've been reading in my morning Bible reading, I've been going through a a section of the Bible where you, you read through Isaiah and Jeremiah. And it's difficult for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons it's difficult is reading how God's people are not listening to him. I, I, I pulled just a sample of some of the verses that I've come across, and just so you watch and you hear what it looks like when God's people begin to move in the opposite direction of a close relationship with him. So Jeremiah 25 says this, "'The Lord sent all his servants, the prophets, "'and he sent them to you time and time again, "'but you, you haven't obeyed. And you didn't even pay attention. He announced, turn each one of you from your evil way of life. Turn from your evil deeds. This is what the Lord says. Ask about the ancient paths. Ask, which is the way to what is good? And then take it and find rest for yourselves. But you protested. You said, we won't. They didn't listen. They didn't pay attention, but followed their own heart their own stubborn, evil heart, their own advice. They went backward and not forward. My people wouldn't listen to me or pay attention, but they became obstinate and they did more evil than their ancestors. Jeremiah says this, for I strongly warned your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt until the day, I warned them time and time again, obey me. Yet they would not obey. They would not pay attention. Each one followed the stubbornness of his evil heart. So I brought on them all the curses of his covenant because they had not done what I commanded them to do. It's heartbreaking to watch a people get told time and time again. But actually, what is, what's hard to read about these verses is in some ways they function like a mirror. So Jesus said it well, didn't he? Judge not. Well, I can't judge these people because my heart will do the same things. God speaks. And, and I don't listen. God calls out to me, turn, and I don't turn. God gives me invitation after invitation, and I almost with my life act like he's not serious about it all. You see, I, I can find myself pretty easily in this. I, I can see ways in which I've not listened, where I've been stubborn, where I've had to reap what I've sown. That happens so many times in the Bible, we read of people that walk away from God And I mention all that because it is actually very, very interesting. It's stunning when you find a people that actually listen to what God is saying. A people that actually respond exactly like they should respond when God speaks. That isn't always the norm. And so we kind of zero in, especially in these verses, when we come to the story where people actually take God at his word, if you've been with us, you've, you've walked with us the last couple of weeks through the book of Haggai, this kind of out-of-the-way out prophet that often we don't hear much about. And, and the baseline story of Haggai is that God has commanded his people to rebuild the temple. The temple was laying in ruins, and he's commanded them, his people, to rebuild it. And God told the people to rebuild, and we have four verses that Gwen read a moment ago, in which they did. So you know what I want to do? When I see people respond in obedience like that, I begin to ask, like, what's going on there? Is there something from, even though it's Haggai, and even though it's an obscure place, is there something from there that I can extract that may talk to me where I am today? I'm not talking about so much of a a formula that, you know, you add a little bit of this, a cup of this, a third teaspoon of that, and out out comes the right response. I don't think our lives are that simple. I know God is not that simple. So I'm not talking about a recipe, a formula. I'm not talking, are there three or four tips we could get from Haggai to kind of help us get along better in life? That's not it. But, But if 1 Corinthians 10 says everything that was written is written for our example and for our instruction to learn, then surely there is something that could impact our response, that our response could maybe mirror what's going on in Haggai. And that's that's what I want us to look at today. I I want us to look at this almost like it's a portrait or a display, and kind of we come around at different angles, and we go, what's going on there? So that maybe God will use his word in our lives this morning so that we would respond in the same way the people did in Haggai. I'm going to try to land you right in this story so... I, I, I want you to think of that. And so let's first imagine what might happen when finally, finally, I realize that God is talking to me. What happens when you, what happens when I finally realize that God is talking to me? Well, that's what happens. That's what happens in verse 12. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, I think it's interesting how that is all worded. Because the people obey the voice of the Lord, but Haggai's the one doing the talking. Or is he? Actually, he is, but God is the one that is behind Haggai's words. And the people are hearing Haggai talk, but they recognize in that moment, it's not just a prophet talking. God is addressing. They finally realize that God has something to say to them. And Haggai's the mouthpiece. God God isn't someone that they're unfamiliar with. God isn't this unknown number that has popped up and like, oh, I don't even recognize this caller, this random caller. No, no, when they hear what Haggai has to say, they know that has come from God. Where do you go? An important question to ask is like, where do you go to hear from God? Where can you be sure that you've heard like the voice of the Lord speaking to you? For some, I, and I don't want to assume anything, I would think there are probably a, a wide range of answers. For some, you go, you know, I, I hear God speaking to me in like a book or there's this devotional that I read and I find God speaking to me in that. Or maybe some would say like, I, I, I hear God's voice in music or in, in art. I just see God speak. I hear his voice. Or some might say, you know, I just have impressions and hunches and I hear God's voice in that. Or some might see, you know, when when I see this certain cloud formation, it speaks to me. God has words that he's saying to me in that formation. Or maybe you just say, I just kind of, I hear God's voice. It's kind of my voice on the inside. It's intuitive. I I just kind of know this is what God's thinking because it's what I'm thinking. I think there's probably a lot of different ways in which people think they hear from God. But I do know what we have, what we have regularly recorded for us is God telling us, here's where you can hear my voice. And he's going to point you again and again toward his word that's been written down. Again and again, he's going to point you to this. He's going to say, you want to hear me speak? I'm speaking here. I'm speaking here. You can, you can hear my voice. As a matter of fact, I love the way 2 Timothy 3.16 says it. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, as Jeff mentioned a moment ago, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's profitable for all those things. And the end result, the goal in mind is that the man of God, the, the woman of God may be complete, may be mature may be equipped for every good work. So this is why Scripture was given, so that we would be complete, so that we would be mature, so that we would have what we need to live a godly life. Even if we had a mountaintop vision like Peter had, and and Peter would talk about this experience that he had when he was up on the mountain with the Lord. Actually, what Peter would say is, although I had that experience with the Lord, a mountaintop vision in all his glory, we have something even more certain than that. We have the fact in, in 2 Peter 1, he says that, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And those words got recorded, and we read them. And God is speaking. What happens when people hear from God? We, we have a record of a church in ancient Greece, the, the church of Thessalonica, and Paul would say this, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Where are we going to go to hear God speaking? We're going to go to the word, and are our ears open? Is our heart open to the fact that God has something to say to us? Something in his word is brought to your attention, and it might be something in your own personal Bible reading or Bible listening. You take it in, you go, wait a minute. I I've just heard from the Lord. Or maybe you're sitting in a group or a class like the past hour. Maybe, maybe God opens up your eyes and you could say, I've read that, I've read that like 50 times, but like that's more than just words on paper. Like I, I heard God addressing me. Or maybe it's a conversation you're having with a friend, or maybe it is a book you're reading or a talk you're listening to that is pointing you back to God's Word written. Maybe it's even that you're hearing God speak some of the first words of the gospel that like you you may be new to church, new to Christianity, new to religion in general. Some friend invited you and you came and it's a, a whole different world than you expected. And maybe you hear the words of God, you hear the message of God's word and you begin to understand that God took initiative to save you, God took initiative to love you, to show his love in dealing with the one thing that has separated you and a holy God, and that is your sin. And you begin to hear this, and you might say, you know, you had told me this six months, a year ago, I would have just discounted it. I would have thought, I'm not that person. You know, there are religious people out there, not, and then I'm not that kind of person. But now you find well, what didn't make any sense at all now is beginning to make sense. God is opening your eyes, and you're beginning to hear and say, I think, I think I am hearing the voice of God, and things are becoming more and more real to you. And you realize that God is calling to you, calling to you to, to turn from everything else, to trust in Him, and to follow Jesus Christ. Are you hearing from God? Are you hearing Him speak? One caution I have is that I've, I've talked for now three weeks about hearing from God and hearing Him speak to you. And I, I fear sometimes we make this all about like big, big decisions that we've got to make in life. So we have this big decision. We say, Yeah, I'm just kind of frustrated because I haven't heard from God on this. I've got a career change or a move or something pretty drastic, a, a, a habit that we, uh, that an addiction. And we're like, I'm waiting to hear from God, Curtis. I'm waiting. We make it all about the big things, but could it be that God just is meeting you exactly where you are? Not necessarily on the scale of all the big things in your life, but maybe God's voice is becoming clearer and louder to you on an area of personal weakness, on an area that's not okay and he's taking his word, and he's beginning to come at your life. Or maybe it's an area where you, you need to grow, and God is giving you the help you need to grow. Or maybe, maybe there is an increasing pressure on your life, and maybe, you know, one day you dealt with this pressure, but now it's not just one day. You're actually you're in the days, weeks, months, year, years of this pressure. You've been, you've been wondering like, where is God in this? Could it be that God is speaking to you, that God has something to say to you? Could it be that his word is coming to bear on something in your life, with how you should deal with it and how God will help you? Maybe you have a stubborn sin or a habit that needs to change. I think what if, what if you are a person that is filled with impatience? Ha- What if if I have a quick temper and like, my goodness, that needs to change. I don't need to live my whole life like that. And God slowly begins to press on that one issue. Maybe it's that I'm so full of myself and God begins to work on that and break that down. And I realize my life isn't just about me. It's about others that he's put in my life. It's about him ultimately. It's not just about me. And God begins to go to work, bringing his word to bear on those things. Maybe I'm... I'm so convinced that God could never love me. I'm so convinced that I'm inferior to everybody else. I'm so convinced that he has really no plan, or at least not a great plan for me. I'm only going to get the leftovers. And I need to hear God's word, God's word coming at me that I am, I am his son. I am his daughter. He does love me. He will be my help. Maybe something just came out of the blue this week and has knocked you off balance. You need to know God isn't in the bleachers. Just watching it all unfold. But He's speaking. Maybe it's you have a nagging sense of loneliness or like I'm just anonymous in this world or surely there's something more. Maybe you've just over time, you've forgotten that God has anything to do, anything to say about any of this. But you open up His word and He speaks. It may be simple, but a core part of the right response to God is when his word comes alive to us. But this passage is like not just do this, then this, then this, then this. It's actually linked together. And I want you to see another part of what's going on here in Haggai as these people respond. Not only are they like realizing God is speaking to them, but something else happens and we can begin to see what it looks like when God becomes personal to us. When God becomes personal to us, and there are a couple words there that I want us to notice that are in these verses. So one of them is the the pronoun there, the Lord their God, and the Lord of hosts their God. And another is the word remnant, because something is happening when, when these words are used. It, it tells us, it sends us some signals that God is becoming personal to them. You know, pronouns are important. They indicate some sort of possession, and they often tell a story. So you, you hear someone talking and they may talk about like where they worked at five years ago. And they say, you know, we just always tried to, we just, we just. And you recognize as they're using the word we, they're saying something. They're saying, I identify with that. I was part of that. Or maybe someone's talking about this assignment that the boss gave to the team and the person says, yeah, he wants his project that we've got to work on. He wants it done, his, his, his thing that he's got going on. And interesting, like interesting you use the word his project or her project and not ours. You feel like, no, nah, this isn't my deal. That's his deal. And I guess I'll work on it. Or someone will talk about it like, we finally made it to the playoffs. We finally won this. We finally beat our rival. And you know, well, you don't play. You just ate like chips and drank Coke and watched it. You say, no, 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 I'm, I'm part of it. Like, this is us. This is, this is my team. This is my school. We use pronouns. So it is interesting to me when the pronouns change in Haggai. And no longer is it just the Lord, but it's the Lord, their God. Something's going on. The Lord of hosts, their God. And even the word remnant is interesting. Remnant is used pretty regularly in the Old Testament. But it's in reference to God's people. And it means like the group who is faithful to the original truth. They're faithful to God even when everybody else falls away. They're the remnant. They're the ones who are left. They're the ones who really are God's people in heart and action and desire. They're known and loved by God. They're devoted to him. This is the language. So whatever's happening, God has become personal to the people in, in Israel at that time. God means something to them. The opposite is when you have some sort of formal identification, but it's nothing close, nothing vibrant, nothing changing your life, kind of just in name only. Oh, yeah, you're a friend of a friend. You hardly know the person. Or, oh, yeah, we, uh, we're associated some way on social media, LinkedIn or something like that. We know we're connected somehow. And if that is the depth of our connection to God, something's wrong. But notice that's, that's not what's going on here. How personal is the Lord to you? So linked with this idea of God becoming personal to us, there's something else that as we respond, something else goes on, and that is not only is God becoming personal to us, but I actually, I take God much more seriously. And we know this happened in verse 12 because it says the people feared the Lord. No longer are they apathetic about the Lord. No longer are they careless like in their lives, in their decisions, they're in awe of him. This is what happens. We live our lives, we all live our lives with something that really matters to us, something very important to us, something big to us. We all live our lives and yet sometimes God gets displaced in that and something else becomes really, really important to us. But in this story, that has changed. They begin to take God much more seriously. Often we're shaken from like a casual relationship with God. We're shaken by tragedy or pain or ongoing pressure, something happens. And it says, the people in Haggai's time feared the Lord. We hear the word fear and we go a couple different ways with that. There's a way of talking about fear as it is like total dread. That we see how big God is and we're just terribly afraid that he might mess up everything in our lives and so we keep our distance. That is one way fear can operate. But Actually, fear for God's people was meant to operate in a very, very different way. It was meant to actually not push us away from God, but to recognize if God is for us, then who could be against us? The fear of the Lord in the Bible, for those who are in right relationship with, with Him, the fear of God is is when we're taking him seriously, even taking things like his love seriously. That's like writers uh, of songs would write, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That is the awe of God. That is the fear of the Lord. That is taking God seriously, that love that amazing demands everything from me. Or, Or we sing amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me. Amazing love. I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all that I do. In everything I do, I worship you. We sing that. We sing that because Romans 12 says, in view of the mercies of God, I'm urging you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you have this awe of God, this amazing glimpse of God, it changes everything. I love the way Michael Barrett says it. He says the fear of the Lord is simply to live being aware of God, factoring Him into every situation of life, living in the conscious sense that God is real. To be overwhelmed with the sense of God's reality puts everything else in perspective. Our time, our relationships, our thoughts, our our faithfulness, our work, our perseverance, our families. The fear of the Lord is a corrective to skewed and misplaced priorities that motivates behavior that is pleasing to God. If this God is who he says he is, and he has done what he has said he's done, my life, your life could never be the same. He just captivated the people in Haggai's time. Yeah, it just kind of naturally follows. Of course, they're going to rebuild the temple. This is God we're talking about. Of course, they're going to do what he says. They have a, a view of who God is, and of course, will respond in this way when we take him seriously, when his word matters to us. What comes on the heels of, of the words, the people feared the Lord? Having gotten their attention, does God then say, and I'm going to crush you like the small cells you really are? That's not what he says. I love it. Actually, what happens is that God, in the midst of the people responding with fearing him, God reassures them with promises. As we continue to walk through this, we realize God, even as I take him seriously, he reassures me with promises. And that particular promise here is the Lord coming to them by the mouthpiece of Haggai saying, I am, I am with you. If you've read the Bible much, you realize... I don't know that there's another promise said more often in Scripture, Old and New Testament, than this one. The Lord wants again and again you to know, you, his people, to know that he is with you, that he is present with you. He wants you to know you are not alone. He wants you to know that he isn't like out there watching you from a distance. There are some pretty strong rebukes in Haggai, but there are even greater promises as God says, I'm not leaving you. I am with you. I'm with you in the sense that two is always better than one, because if one falls, the other can pick him up. God is with us. In the sense that we don't bear our burdens alone, but there is someone to help that we can cast our cares on him, because he is with us and he cares for us. He's with us even in the sense if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear, you don't have to fear evil. Because God is with you. He's with us in the sense that if the, one of the worst things imaginable happens, that if our father and our mother, even themselves, if they reject us, Psalm 27, the Lord receives us. He's with us as we're told to go out and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is, and here's the promise, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. This is Almighty God, and He's with us. I think we hear that, and we appreciate that. But I do do want to highlight something. And that is, we can only appreciate the full dimension of God's promise to be with us if we recognize this comes with all the other things we've talked about so far. I find sometimes our culture, maybe even a church, we kind of want to do our walk with God something like a la carte. So I'll I'll take some of this. I'll pass on that. I want extra of this. And I may come back for that later. But that isn't how it works. We don't get to download a few of the features we like and turn off the notifications that we don't want to hear from God. It just doesn't work like that all of this links together. You really do have to hear from him, and and you really have to take his word seriously, and he really does have to become personal to you, for you, for me to enjoy the full dimensions of what it means that he is with us. If you don't have a kind of relationship that is really personal, and where God has all authority to speak to you, even when you hear the promises or, uh, of God being present, you never get close to really appreciating it. You see, the void of a relationship with God, even if we hear the promises he makes, we hear, okay, he'll be with us, he'll protect us, he'll rescue us, he'll help us. It almost sounds like all we're talking about is positive energy or good karma. Sure, I'll take some of that. But that isn't how it works. It, it's, it's kind of trite to just have an imaginary friend who you pretend will always be with you. You see, devoid of a, a real relationship with God, it doesn't do you much good to have a generic connection with God that you just kind of self-assure that it, it'll be okay. But how different it is when you have a real relationship with this God who's become everything to you. And he says you are not walking alone. You're not walking through this semester alone. You're not walking through this hardship alone. You're not walking through this change alone. You're not going to walk through death alone. I'm with you. That makes all the difference in the world. It's interesting because you, you read Haggai, and it kind of starts out, God saying, rebuild the temple. And they rebuild it, but so much more is going on than just dutiful obedience as if that's what all this was about. They, God told them to build, and they just built it. Do you see? Do you see in these verses, God is after something so much more than just bricks and mortar in a certain spot in Jerusalem? God is after the heart of his people. And he's still after the heart of his people. He's still after your heart. He is after a relationship with you that is personal and real and vibrant. The story of Haggai is a story of action, but before the action happens, God is doing something in the heart, and that's why even as you kind of put the, the last piece of this story together, one thing you recognize is that God stirs our hearts when he tells us what to do. So it's all connected, and part of that connection is God stirring my spirit to do what he's told me, you see what it says? It says in verse 14, the Lord, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua, and he's the one that stirred up all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked. They came and they worked. They came and they worked, not because they could care less about God. They came and worked because their relationship with God had changed. And why had it changed? Because God was stirring. He started with the leaders. Leaders, we can't take someone to a place we've not been. But then it it drifts to all the people, and God stirs up his people. What a day. What a day when a group of people tangibly demonstrated they're walking with the Lord. What What a day when people had sustained change. God stirred them and they acted. Sometimes we get lost in questions that I think are just not helpful. We go, well, So it says, God stirred, but did the people make decisions or was like 50% God and 50% them? Who was actually like really moving and ordering and changing and what what was going on here? I find percentages are about the most unhelpful thing in that discussion because you just read it and you read, God speaks to his people and they listen and God works in their midst and they fear him, and they start rebuilding. And behind it all, there's a God that is just stirring up his people to go deeper and deeper in their relationship with him. I've seen God again and again take a heart that is sensitive to him, a heart that says, your will be done, not mine. And I've seen him stir that heart, and then there's obedience, and then he stirs more, and then there's more obedience, and then he stirs more. He encourages and challenges and convicts, and in the end, God is glorified, and our lives are wrapped up in him, and he's pleased with the obedience. There's so many stories in the Bible that I read, and I'm, they're actually... It's discouraging because you read and you realize another people didn't walk with God, another people didn't listen to God, another group of people, they didn't pay attention either. But then you come to this one and you get a glimpse into what it looks like when they don't have this slow fade of devotion, but they're actually revived in their hearts to pursue the Lord. And so this is what I'd say, church, let's hear this one and take it to heart. Because the, the fact is we've, we've called this series Failure and Hope failure and hope and that is because despite despite whatever has been done in the past despite whatever failures have have been in your past and my past there's a starting point there's a starting point for a fresh work of God a fresh work of God to do something new and i believe in that many lives god may be god may be up to something new you may have walked with him for decades but god may be stirring something new in your heart where you go deeper you take him more seriously you're more devoted to him than ever before. If God's doing that fresh work, dig into those things. Dig into it today. God is gracious. God is gracious to get your attention. Respond, and he'll he'll respond to your pursuing him with greater stirring in your heart. Can I ask you to bow your head? I feel like as we've processed what the Lord has said, what the Lord has taught us, I want to give us time to think through, okay, What are you doing right now in my life, Lord? And how should I respond? How should I be more and more like these people in Haggai? How can I live in hope, not my record of failure? Let me give you just a minute to talk to the Lord about that. And then we'll sing. Father, we praise you that mercies are new even this morning. So maybe the summer is a record of our failures. But today you've got our attention. We hear your voice and it's loud and clear. I pray that we would seek you while you're able to be found. We would respond by not hardening our heart. But we would say, Lord, here we are. That collectively we would have the fear of the Lord. That we would take you seriously. I pray for those that I don't know their hearts, they may be on the fringes. Oh God, be personal. Pray that games would stop, pretenses would fall away. There might be a fresh work of your spirit. We ask this not so we would feel better about ourselves. We ask this so that Jesus Christ would be glorified. We ask all this in His name.